You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. We've been going through uh, 1 Kings. We just started last week. And we talked about 1 Kings as a decline narrative about, you know, the decline of Israel heading towards exile. And today what I'm also going to do, as is customary in an ordination service, is to exhibit this as a charge to Matt as well. And it fits pretty well with what we're doing here. So our reading today is from 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 through 27. A little bit of background here. Last week we looked at how King David was not doing what he was supposed to be doing, which was being king, and he was old, and he was kind of powerless or becoming powerless. So there's this power vacuum now, and we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? By the way, that's something I say all the time. Why have you not done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened calf by the serpent's stone, which is beside in Rogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then, while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass, when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? 
For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live King Adonijah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king And you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him? This is the word of the Lord. I'm a competitive person, so I like winning too much. Last time I played checkers was in June, and I was so excited. I was losing the game early on, but I was the first one to get to the end. And I shouted with gusto, King me! It strikes me that the subtext of a lot of our everyday relations is power dynamics where we are the ones often saying, king me, or someone else is saying to us, king me. Maybe it's at school. Maybe the principal is saying, king me, but the parents or the teachers or the students are resisting and they're really saying, king me. Maybe it's on a sports team where there's an alpha girl who's saying, king me, but there's a subversive group of people who don't like her very much, and they're really saying, king me. can happen here at church, too. Who's really in charge? Who's really saying, king me? Is it a pastor? Is it a group of elders? Is it volunteers who spend so much of their time? Is it the biggest givers? Power dynamics are at play in lots of everyday relations where we say, king me. And so long as anything gets done in this world, it will come at the hands of someone who has the power to do something about it, whether good or bad. And such is the lesson of the passage today. This morning, I want to look at how, first, we try to be king when we shouldn't. Second, we neglect to be king when we should. And third, how we can share the power of the king by knowing his plans. We try to be king when we shouldn't, we neglect to be king when we should, and how we can share the power of the king by knowing his plans. So first, we try to be king when we shouldn't. This, of course, comes with the person of Adonijah in verses 5 through 10. Adonijah is David's fourth son by the woman Hagith, as verse 5 tells us. Now, David had many wives and concubines, unfortunately, and Adonijah is the fourth son. Now, the first and third son's death has already been recorded in Scripture, and we are to presume by this passage that the second son of David has also died, which is why Adonijah would think it was very natural in this power vacuum that King David has created. Well, I'm the next in line. I'm the next son. I'm the rightful heir. I'm going to go take my throne. And in verse 5, it says, Adonijah exalted himself. This is not good. Adonijah is usurping God and King David's right to declare his own successor. And especially in Scripture, whenever you see someone exalting themselves, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A fall might be coming for Adonijah. Regardless, in verse 5, he prepped chariots, horsemen, a regal parade to coronate himself. This big parade, let's all celebrate Adonijah. And in verse 7, he puts together his administration, we might say in U.S. terms. He gets together Abiathar, who's David's old priest. He gets together Joab, David's old military commander. He's getting David's old band back together, the old guard, you might say, in order to confer political legitimacy on himself. Like, I'm the rightful heir. I'm going to get all my dad's regime and his administration, and everybody's going to see me as the legitimate king of Israel. There is a new guard, though. That's in verse 8. 
And in particular, there are two important people in verse 8. There's Zadok the priest who would have represented the people before God, and he would have discerned God's will in all manner of situations. And then there's Nathan the prophet, a key character in this story, who would have been able to speak the very words of God to the people and often spoke hard words even to King David. You can go all the way back to 2 Samuel to see that. Those two guys, if you wanted to know what God really thought or you wanted to have a relationship with God, you would have talked with Zadok or Nathan at that time, not to the old guard which is proof that Adonijah doesn't really care what God thinks. He's exalting himself. So Adonijah continues with his coronation in verses 9 through 10, and he puts together a big feast with all these sacrifices, lots of animals slaughtered, and he invites, very tellingly, the royal officials of Judah. Just one tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel. He doesn't invite all 12 tribes. He just invites his own tribe to get his own backing to create an insurgency force of legitimacy to be king. Adonijah is an Adam figure, taking what doesn't belong to him, the kingship, without asking God. I think it's easier to act like Adonijah than we might realize. How many of us have felt more deserving of the promotion than a colleague? That's a fairly common experience. I remember in my last church clamoring for such power. We had just gone through a senior pastor transition, and it was going well, but the church couldn't afford an executive pastor, and I really wanted to be it. I was the discipleship pastor at the time in a larger church, about 1,200 members, and I really wanted to basically have more power. But my boss kept saying, you're not ready yet, and he was right. I didn't have any background in HR or finance or physical plant, but I wanted to add those things to my job description because we really, really needed it, and I thought I was the best person for the job, given that we couldn't afford it. And a year goes by, and my boss says, yeah, okay, you're not ready yet, but we're going to slowly move you into that role to make it easier on me. Now, he wouldn't call me the executive pastor because he said, in a church our size, I was in my 20s, he said, that's going to put too much pressure on you, and people are going to expect you. You need to be able to make mistakes because you're going to make mistakes. But I was like, I'm not going to make mistakes. I'm awesome. There are a lot of things that I did do well, but here's one I didn't. We needed to renovate our playground. The playground structures had become too old and dangerous, and the church had a preschool. And so we had to renovate the playground. We were taking out some parking spots, and to do that, we had to go to city officials. And Greenwood Village, Colorado, had super onerous municipal laws to pass. And it took me months to figure out the paperwork, and I ultimately never did. I was supposed to oversee this project of general contractors and subcontractors and working to get this through the city for approval. And like 10, 11 months go by, and I still don't know what I'm doing. And eventually I had to just come to my boss and say, I have failed. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was Peter principled, if you've ever heard that phrase, the Peter principle, where people get promoted because they do a good job, and they get promoted because they do a good job, but eventually they stop at their first level of incompetence. You don't get promoted anymore when you can't do your job as well as you used to. And I was Peter principled, and I had to admit it to myself, like, I am not an executive pastor, but I wanted to be king, but I shouldn't have been. In fact, whether we do so in an overt or covert way, it's a perennial human temptation to set ourselves up as kings. There are irreligious ways we try to do this. We, all, we play office politics and we create subversive factions and we go against certain power structures or committees or whatever. We have bravado. We take on the impossible assignment just to prove that we can do it better than other people. Or maybe we have pride in our head, like just judging people all the time because, of course, we would do it better. 
And if there are irreligious ways we try to be king when we shouldn't, there are also religious ways we try to do it. This happens with what Jerry Bridges calls so-called respectable sins. Gossip in the church about how the staff was not performing well and we just foment our disrespect. This happens when we name buildings after wealthy people in the Christian world at a Christian college or university. Despite Jesus' very clear instructions, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing when you're giving money. It's okay, though. They gave a lot of money. It happens in church planning, too, Matt. Church planners need to hold the vision of the church tightly, especially in the early years, because one of the most natural things Christians like to do is to be with other Christians, especially in an increasing post-Christian world. But if you're going to church plant well, you have to always have a hard edge of evangelism. And so you can't lose the vision. And yet the temptation in church planting then is to never share the vision at all. And so you've got all these people who are ready to lead or ready to do things. And you go, no, 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 I'm going to hold the vision super tightly. And in church planting world, the temptation to be king when we shouldn't is when we should share power, even if it would mean something that we love a little less than our original plan. Church the Redeemer is not exactly how I would have done it. But in order to do it with a group of people who wanted to do it, there were parts of my pride in my own kingship that had to die. So I offer that as a charge to you, Matt. Sometimes, even in church planning, we try to be king when we shouldn't. Adonijah tries to set himself up as king when he shouldn't. But there's an opposite sin that's just as bad. Our second point this morning. We neglect to be king when we should. We neglect to be king when we should. This is the indictment on King David, however old he is. And the first clue that the narrator even thinks that David is derelict of duty is in verse 6, where it says, his father, meaning David, had never at any time displeased Adonijah. This is a retrospective verse. Adonijah is trying to usurp David and go to the throne. And the narrator provides us a retrospective saying, David was a negligent parent. He was negligent and probably indulgent. Oh, yeah, sure, you can have whatever you want. Parents, if you never displease your children, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) I got some amens over here. Yes. And then in verse 11, we're told in Nathan's speech to Bathsheba that David does not know about Adonijah's scheme. How does he not know that his kingdom is being usurped? right now. And that word know is key. We looked at it last week in chapter 1, verse 4, where it said David did not know Abishag, the Shunammite, the, basically the girlfriend that he was given. And that meant know in, in a way of physical intimacy. And every time hereafter in chapter 1 you see the word know, it is a statement of David's lack of power or his ignorance or something like that. David doesn't know that his kingdom's being usurped. You see it again in verse 18 about David's ignorance. When Bathsheba says what Nathan says, and now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord, the king, do not know it. Anytime you see the word know, it highlights David's lack of power. But think about it. You'll even see in the very next passage, which we'll look at next week, David sets the kingdom back on the right trajectory. He has plenty of power left, however old he is. And how did he not tell anybody else besides Nathan and Bathsheba that he wanted Solomon to be king? That God wants Solomon to be king. How did he never share that with anybody before? Dereliction of duty. Similarly, in Colorado, I remember one time my wife, Laura, came home from some time she was spending with high school kids. She was on Young Life staff. 
Young Life is a ministry that tries to reach out to kids, especially who don't have a church background, and it's a, it's a missionary thing uh, that in Colorado was uh, even harder because it was more post-Christian at the time than the Bible Belt. And so she was hanging out with these kids, and this one girl who had at least professed some faith in Christ, but she started acting out, started drinking, started sleeping with her boyfriend, started staying out past curfew, maybe grades were slacking a little bit, I don't remember that part very well. And in a moment of vulnerability, she admitted to Laura, and Laura related to me, I'm trying to get caught. Um, My dad doesn't care very much about me. And I I feel like if I could just get in trouble, then I would know that my dad cared about me. Her dad was derelict of duty. He was neglecting his rightful kingship, just like David here. What about you? Are there moments when God has given you rightful authority or power to change something for the good and you are neglecting it? The sin of omission, we say, instead of commission. Are there moments when you're neglecting your power? Matt, I have seen this in church more than I've seen pastoral abuse. I know pastoral abuse gets the headlines, it gets the podcasts. I know churches doing things they shouldn't do is what gets in the press. But more often than not, what I see is pastors neglecting the rightful power that God has given them through ordination and the laying on of hands to spiritually exercise what they are supposed to do for the sake of others. It's because pastors love their people and we don't want to hurt your feelings and sometimes we don't want to say the hard thing to you. And pastors often neglect the power that God has given them. I have a friend in Colorado who just left ministry as an associate pastor. He was the pastor of a multi-site church and he left the ministry altogether because the senior leadership in that church, represented by a board and a senior pastor, were so afraid of conflict they would never do it and they would just, conflict would go unaddressed. How do we spend money? How do we deal with staff conflict? How do we do anything? And it would always go unaddressed and it wound up burning him, burning him out because they didn't use their proper authority. Similarly, when I moved here, a young woman reached out to me for help because of abuse she had faced at the hands of another pastor here in town. And when that came to light and she started telling people, I realized that other pastors in town knew about it. And other pastors that had been at that church or since gone, and when they were told this happened, they said, it's not my problem anymore. I'm not at that church anymore. And when she told me, I said, whenever you're ready, we'll do something about this. And then I got my old boss on the phone. I was like, hey, what do I do? (laughs) It burns me up when pastors abuse others, and it burns me up just as much when pastors don't use the power they do have for the sake of others, for the sake of the vulnerable, for the sake of the powerless. Don't ever hesitate, Matt, to use your power for the powerless, to lift others up, and to follow the truth regardless of how popular it is or unpopular. To the rest of you, to the extent you have rightful authority as a boss, as a parent, do not neglect your power. Sometimes the right decision will anger others, but don't make the right decision because you're afraid of what other people will think about you. Hold on one minute. Dave, don't not make the right decision because you're afraid of other people. I needed to say it to myself. I'm not usually a grandstander. That's really hard for me. As my friend Lindsay says, it's important to have a soft front and a, and a hard spine. Soft front and hard spine. 
Now we'll truly be able to move into this freedom with our last point this morning. We can share the power of the true king by knowing his plans. We can share the power of the true king by knowing his plans. In the grand scheme of things, of course, in the cosmic scheme of things, we're not really kings after all. But it's important to know who the true king is, and that's who Nathan and Bathsheba approach. Nathan comes to Bathsheba in verses 11-14. They hatch a plan to remind the king, hey, you wanted Solomon to be king, and Bathsheba, you go in first, and I'll back you up as the second witness, Nathan says. And in verse 15, that's exactly what Bathsheba does. Could you imagine how awkward it was for her to go into the chambers with Abishag, the girlfriend there? But she does it anyway. She repeats what Nathan asks her to, verbatim in verse 17. And in verse 22, Nathan comes in following Bathsheba as he planned to do. And in Nathan's speech in verses 24 through 27, he challenges Adonijah's ascent to the throne and the usurping of David's right to declare Solomon his heir. Now, I want to make two quick observations about this plan that Nathan hatches with Bathsheba. First is that despite the fact that in verse 25, other people are declaring Adonijah king, long live King Adonijah, they say, Nathan and Bathsheba are still treating David as the true king. Both of them, when they go in, they bow. And it even says Nathan bowed so far that his face was to the floor. They know who the true king is, and they have private access to him. This leads to the second observation. God has barely been mentioned so far, and only once by Bathsheba in verse 17. But Bathsheba and Nathan know through their actions that God is still working and that he can even work through them. This leads me to ask you some questions related to your own honoring of the real true king. Do you still honor the rightful king Jesus even when it looks like the culture is in decline around you? Do you still trust that the rightful king is at work even when so many other people are claiming the power for themselves? Most importantly, do you still honor the rightful king even when it looks like he's powerless, like King David is here? Would you honor the king even when it looks like he's powerless on a cross? Eventually, as we'll see next week, Bathsheba and Nathan's plan wins out. And the important lesson is, The key to success in any usage of power is having private access to the true king. And you have it. If you are in Christ, you have private access to the true king because he died for you to win you. He lived a perfect life for you. He sent his spirit to indwell you that you would have permanent private access to the king and say, Lord, help me use my power rightly that you have given me by by your spirit. Help me to neglect power when I shouldn't be taking it. And he'll give it to you because you have private access to the king who truly knows you and loves you. Let's pray. Our Father, all of us need help with knowing how to use power or knowing how to reject it and seeing Jesus as our true model and sacrifice. We pray you'd give that to Matt in abundance as your spirit continues to fill him. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.